Not enough amens for that. Our society has an insatiable appetite for communication. And I know you know this because almost every one of you is carrying around this small device that not only takes phone calls, but you can also get voicemails and text messages and texted images and texted videos, Instagrams, tweets, uh, instant messages, even emojis. I can make myself look like a monkey and call you and talk to you. It's just incredible. We, we just can't be without it. And everywhere we go, pretty much we can speak to somebody. And the Russians may be listening. We're not sure. We're pretty sure Google is listening to everything we say. But some of you have Christmas lists that include all of these communication devices because we're obsessed with it. You want a new cell phone or a new smartwatch, or a, an Alexa, or a Google Assistant, or whatever those things are. But mankind is obsessed with communication. And I've discovered that I am getting old. No comments. It's not about my gray hair, the receding airline, or my dad bod that uh, you all notice every week. But no, this old dog hates learning new tricks. And I'm the guy now who is afraid of having to get a new phone. And this used to not be the way it was. I was the guy who couldn't wait for the new phone to come out and the new update and the new upgrade. But I have all these fears associated with having to transfer contacts, setting up my new email, getting, making sure I don't lose pictures, or um, just all the things that go along, or learning new buttons or without buttons. I just I can't stand this thing. So I, I guess I've sinned and grown old when it comes to technology and my cell phone. Um, last year I was struggling with this because my phone wouldn't hold a charge. But I was, too, I was not going to give it up. I didn't want a new phone. And then all of a sudden it wouldn't take phone calls. But I would try and call them back and I'd say, yeah, my phone's not working. Then the touch screen stopped working. And I was still holding on to it. In fact, it just completely went dead. And on December 26th of 2017, I had to get a new phone. And I'm hoping it lasts for another 10 years. <laughs> You know, we can't live without instant communication. But what about God? See, I think there's this big question that looms over all of Christmas. And the question is this, does God speak? Has God spoken? In the first chapter of the Bible, you can absolutely get this question answered. Because no less than ten times in Genesis 1, the scripture says that God speaks. It says, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And so on and so forth. Over and over again, God speaks. So we get to celebrate that our God is one who speaks. He reveals himself to us. And so Christmas is really a season of revelation. It reminds us that we do not have to speculate about God. We don't have to try to figure it out from no indication from him. He has given us a true gift by giving us divine revelation. And what we're going to see today is that he's not simply revealed himself through providence by taking care of us. He's not just revealed himself to us within our conscience where we say, I know there's got to be a God. It's not just through angelic appearance. It's not just through spoken prophetic words. But God reveals himself to us by sending his own son, Jesus. So we're going to look this morning in the book of Hebrews, maybe not where you expected to be on Christmas 
uh, the weekend of Christmas. But Hebrews 1, and this is one of the most critical passages that's written to help us understand who Jesus is, who the Christ is. So I'm going to read to you Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions, and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. What this passage shows us is that God once spoke through prophets but has now spoken through his son. And what I hope we'll learn in this scripture today is that Christmas is a season of revelation, reminding us that God speaks through the words, through the work, and through the life of his son, Jesus. And I can think of no better way to prepare for Christmas than celebrating that today, that God speaks. So this passage of scripture, as I've said, is one of the most critical New Testament passages for understanding Jesus as the Christ. There's four of them. There's this one. In John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Philippians 2, Colossians 1. Those four passages. And you really understand who Jesus is as the Christ. And this one, verses 1 through 4, is made up of 72 Greek words. But nearly every word in this passage is packed full of meaning. The Holy Spirit was so intent on making sure that we understood that this was just forged together in a really critical way for us to understand, for us to comprehend. And it begins in the Greek. It sounds like this. Well, I may not say it right, but the words are this. Polymeros kai, polypropos pali, ho theos lalisas. Now that doesn't make sense to us, but what it says is this. Long ago, at many times, in many ways... God spoke. Isn't that a great way to start a book? (laughs) When I was in high school, I remember reading A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And it just drew you in. You wanted to read it. Well, I think this does the same thing long ago at many times. In many ways, God spoke. And you're hooked. So read Hebrews this Christmas break. But we do not gather here today to worship a silent God. Or a God who refuses to make himself known. You realize we're dependent on God to make himself known for us to know that he exists. The characters of the book do not know that the author exists unless he writes himself into the pages. Only then can they know that there is an author, there's a writer, there's a storyteller. Well, God makes himself known to us. He he spoke. And the writer of Hebrews gives us a frame of reference for when God spoke. He says, long ago. Long ago points to the period of history, essentially the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. So in that period of time, that's what he's referencing here. And the mode by which God spoke was through the prophets as he communicated to the fathers. Now the fathers, of course, were the Jewish ancestors. And he's saying that God spoke to them through prophets, specific messengers that he had appointed and anointed to herald the word of God. And that was a great gift. 
But verse 2 is going to contrast with this and show us that there's a better messenger than a prophet. So long ago, God spoke through prophets, and he mentions the way that he spoke. He says he spoke in many portions and in many ways. Now, in many portions refers to the fact that God didn't speak all at once and then never again. It means he didn't speak just in one person and through nobody else. But in many portions, it was a long time, uh, you know, over a period of time through different people. And the mode by which he spoke was also varied because he says in many ways. We know that God spoke through angelic visitation. He spoke through visions. There was once where God spoke whenever a hand was writing on the wall. We know to Moses he spoke face to face. We know that he spoke through signs and through wonders and through prophetic utterances. So he spoke in many ways. Well, Christmas reminds us that in all those ways that God spoke from long ago are true. The promise that was made to Moses, to Abraham, to David, they're all true. The whispers of God through angels and visitations and signs and wonders that the Messiah would come. In Christmas, we remember it's true. The prophets were right. And that's why this season is filled with so many Old Testament readings of uh, prophets like Isaiah 7. In Isaiah 7, 14, we read, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. This was spoken hundreds of years before Mary even came to be. And the prophet Micah talks about where all of this would occur. In Micah 5, 2, we read, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So hundreds of years before Joseph took Mary into Bethlehem, the prophet Micah said this is where the Messiah would be born. And the stories are true. I know that you all recognize I uh, kind of like Christmas music. And uh, I do have an absolute favorite Christmas album. And I listen to it several times throughout the year. Throughout the year, the whole year. Sometimes, a lot of times before Christmas. And my preference is to listen to it from beginning to end without interruptions. No shuffling, no skipping. And uh, the album is called Behold the Lamb of God, The True Tall Tale of the Coming of Christ. And I, I love this album. It starts off the first track basically says, gather around, I've got a story to tell. And then the second song begins the story. And he starts the story with Moses standing on the banks of the Nile, calling out to Pharaoh, let my people go. Because the Christmas story reaches back that far. And uh, God speaks to Pharaoh through Moses in the form of signs. And Pharaoh rejects them. And then the last sign comes, the death of the firstborn. But God gives a word to the Hebrews. He says... If you put the blood of the lamb over your doorposts, then that death angel will pass over. All the way back then, God was whispering about what was to come. That one day, death would pass over us if we had the blood of the lamb over our life. It reaches back even further. In fact, it reaches back to Genesis, when the first couple who brought sin into the world are standing there, and God speaks to that old devil, Satan himself, in Genesis 315, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. 
And then in capital letters it says, He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. In other words, way back then, God was already laying out the plan. And the stories are true. Now, they're not primarily about being delivered by a snake or from a snake. It's not about primarily about being uh, freed from slavery. Those stories are an illustration for us to something much greater. Philip Hacking says, All roads in the Bible lead to him, and revelation is complete in him. So every story, every prophecy, every word that's spoken is pointing towards Jesus. And then when we see Jesus, revelation is complete because it's a new revelation. See, we are enslaved to sin. We put the chains on ourselves. Every time we choose to sin, rather than choosing God's design for our life, we choose slavery and we just lock ourselves up. And we are hopeless on our own to overcome it. God made a way. In these last days, he speaks a better word. Better than any of the words spoken by the prophets. So today, God allows us, you and me, to reflect and see that the hopes and fears of all the years that have gathered were like a dark cloud over the earth. And then all of a sudden, the light of the world steps in and shatters the clouds. So God spoke long ago, but even in our age, we find that God has spoken. Let me read to you again verses 1 here. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, and then verse 2, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. So for the grammar lesson here, there's a massive contrast being drawn between verse 1 and verse 2. Long ago... Versus in these last days. He spoke versus he has spoken. To the fathers contrasted with to us. In the prophets contrasted with in his son. So don't miss this. He's, he's setting up an argument here. For what has happened with the coming of Christ. So has spoken. That's the most critical verb in the whole passage. It is the weight-bearing structure of the verse. So everything after it, all these propositions about who Jesus is, of what he has done, of what he's accomplished, is dependent on these two words, has spoken. And we read that he spoke, he has spoken in these last days. Now when we think of the last days, we think of the end of time, right? But the last days refers to a whole period of time that was inaugurated whenever Uh, Jesus ascended from the earth to heaven. And that's when it begins. So in the day of the apostles. And it will conclude when Jesus returns. So a long period of time. We still find ourselves in it. So in these last days. God has spoken and he says here. To us. He's spoken to us. Now we're not certain. Who penned the human author. Of the book of Hebrews. There's a lot of speculation. But one indication in here. Uh, in the book, sounds as if the writer was a second-generation Christian. In other words, they didn't hear Jesus call and say, come follow me. But somebody else who had started to follow Jesus led this person to the Lord. And so that writer says he's spoken to us. Well, we're part of that second and third and fourth generation. So God has spoken to you and me as well. And now we come to the grammatical pivot in the passage. 
which is the rising sun that's on this page of Scripture that scatters all the dark clouds away. And this is it. It says, God has spoken in his son. Now that doesn't sound as dramatic as I would like for it to sound right now. And maybe you're thinking, is that what we came here for? Because we already know that. (laughs) But I want you to really pay attention here. Everything changed at this moment. God has spoken in his son. God pivoted and now communicates to us in his son. I want you to think for a moment how drastically different it would be if when we came to this verse we read, God has spoken in a prophet. It doesn't say that. It says in his son. Now we know how good it would be if a prophet were to speak. Remember just a couple weeks ago we were studying in Luke 1 when Zechariah is there inside the inner court an angel appears and says your wife's going to have a child and the child's not just going to be a boy, he's going to be a prophet. And there's this gladness that overwhelms the people because God is moving again. There's been silence and God's sending a prophet. But that prophet who was coming, John the Baptist, he had a role. He was coming to play a role to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. So today we don't celebrate the birth of a prophet. We don't celebrate that God speaks through a prophet. Now I know there are religions and there are groups that that's what they're built on, is that a prophet speaks, but not today for us. We celebrate that God sent his son. It is not that God has spoken to us in a prophet. No, he has spoken to us in his son. So the writer of Hebrews is making an argument here. And he's saying the son is greater than the prophets. So just bear with me for a second. See, Jesus didn't come as a prophet. He came as God in the flesh. And the prophets were prone to say things like, um, thus says the Lord, and they would speak whatever it was that God had to say. Or the scripture will say, and the word of the Lord came to them and they said. But Jesus never does any of that. Because when Jesus speaks, it is the word of the Lord. Because he is the Lord. That's the point here. Because he has a higher category relationship than a prophet does to the Father. He's like, uh, he is unto the Father as a son. Ray Stedman says that the first readers of Hebrews must have really struggled with allegiance between the prophets and Jesus. They must have said, which one are we to trust here? Which one should we give more weight to? Or which should we follow? Because the writer here presents a series of arguments to help the reader understand how much more significant it is what Jesus has spoken. Because Jesus is God's son. So it begins in the second part of verse 2. It says, whom he appointed heir of all things. Well, that's a pretty large scope. That the son has been appointed heir of all things. He is a son because he has an inheritance that's greater, that's grander than the prophet. And then he says, through whom also he made the world. So the son is not created. The son is not part of creation. No, he participated in the creative process. He predates time. He predates history. He stands alone because he's God. Verse 3, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. In other words, you see Jesus and he's radiating with the Father's glory. You can see the Father because you've seen Jesus. Just like a sun, you can't separate the rays of the sun from the sun. You can't separate the sun from the Father. If you see him, you've seen the Father because he is an exact 
representation. He is God. He is not like God. He is not part of God. He is God. In the 4th century A.D., the churches were struggling with this idea. And they said, we've got to nail it down. What do we believe about Jesus? And so they gathered at the council called uh, Nicaea. And there they said, he is light from light. He is God from very God. Not like God. Not part of God. He is God from very God. And he says, and upholds all things by the word of his power. So creation is dependent on him. Your life is dependent on him. He holds everything together. What, why, or how? By the word of his power. When he had made purifications of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he had a task. It was to purify sinners of sin. And that's what he did on the cross. And what happens? At that point, the task is completed. So he is seated, indicating job done. And he's at the right hand of the Father, meaning he's there with power and authority. Now that's a figurative illusion for us, but it helps us understand who Jesus is. And then verse 4. Having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So angels are created beings, but Jesus is not created. They were created to be messengers. But he has inherited this better name. The name is Son. That's the name he has. He is the Son. So that's what we celebrate this morning. It packs a punch, the whole passage. You could study it for weeks. And it handily deals with nearly every heresy that somebody might have to say about Jesus. Or every doctrinal issue or error regarding Jesus as the Christ. So God has spoken in his son, but not just in his words and in his teachings, but also in his life and his work. A few years ago, I went to London and I got to visit the British Museum. Maybe some of you have been there before. And on display, you can see the Rosetta Stone. And uh, the Rosetta Stone, of course, is a fascinating thing because it cracked the code for understanding Egyptian hieroglyphics. It was all speculation of what the pictures meant. Maybe some indications we could tell. But the Rosetta Stone comes along and it's like, it opens the door. We know what's being written. We know what's said. Jesus is the Rosetta Stone for understanding God. We had heard prophetic words. We had the scriptures. But with Jesus, we understand God now. Not just by the things that he said or the things that are written about him, but because of his life. We understand God's compassion because we see it on display in Jesus, in healing the lame, in caring for the outcast, in seeking out those who are lonely. We understand God's forbearance, his grace, and his mercy in the life work of Jesus on the cross. Because it's there we see we can be forgiven. And we understand the depth, the width, and the height of God's love because we see it in this gift of Jesus. We have a glimpse of that. So for us to understand God, we begin with Jesus. He is the exact representation of the Father. We don't have to wonder, does God love us? Because we know it. We can tell in the birth of his son. We don't have to fear God's wrath because we know we can have forgiveness in Jesus and find right standing before God. We don't have to speculate today. In this season of revelation, we remember God has spoken. The stories were all true. And we remember the story of his birth that's all true. In Luke's account, 
And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be taxed. And this taxing first began when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up out of Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. For he was from the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it happened while they were there that the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came about them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It's all true. The stories are all true for us. God spoke, and God has spoken in his own son, and I believe that God is still speaking. I'm sure some of you are here today just straining to hear a word from God. That's just how tough your life is right now. You would love just to hear a word from God, just to know that he hears you in your prayers. Well, I believe he's speaking to the chaos of your crumbling family. I believe God is speaking peace this morning. To the anger that's building from all the hurt in your life, God is speaking love this morning. To the grief and the loneliness that's just covered your life for so long, God is speaking joy. To the longing in your heart for meaning and for significance, God is speaking hope this morning. For the fear and the pain that covers your Christmas celebration so far, God is speaking comfort. And how does he do that? Through his son, Jesus. I know it may sound trite, but I believe it's true that Jesus is still the answer. Miss Cynthia likes to say that down in the three-year-old Sunday school class, every time they ask a question, you know what the answer is? Jesus. And she says, and isn't that a good thing? You know what? I agree, Miss Cynthia. It's a good thing. Jesus is the answer. And I believe that God is speaking today through his son. He demonstrates his love and concern for you by sending you the greatest gift that your soul could ever receive. It meets every longing of your heart. And it's the gift of his son, Jesus. So as believers in Jesus, I want, you to, I want to remind you to make room for the real reason for Christmas this year. And that doesn't mean that you have to just cut out all the hustle and bustle. It doesn't mean that you've got to uh, religiously temper all of the secular celebrations. What I mean is make room for Jesus in your heart. I think that Jesus wants to speak to all the hurt and the pain that's there. I believe he wants to heal the grief and the suffering that's there. I think he wants to bring hope into your heart this morning. 
He wants to bring meaning to your life, so make room for him. In fact, we're going to have an invitation in a minute. You may just want to gather here at the altar and just cry out to God and say, I've been talking a lot, but God, if you're speaking, I want to listen. And you pour out your heart and you listen to him speak, and then you let him put the heart back together. That's what Christmas is about. Jesus came to take the wreck we make of the world and put it all back together in just the right way. Some of you are here with today with no real relationship with Jesus. You come to church occasionally, read your Bible, you like the religious parts, but as far as a real meaning in your life, Jesus doesn't have any. Well, let me tell you, we're not here just to mark the birthday of a baby, but we remember a baby who grew to be a man, who went on a rescue mission to save you from your sins. He went to the cross so that you could be forgiven. In his death, we have the hope of forgiveness, and in his resurrection, we have the hope of eternal life with God forever. God spoke long ago. In these last days, he spoke through his son. And beloved, I believe that he is still speaking to you and me today. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we come to this moment right now. And we don't have to speculate if you're there, what you're like, what your desire is for our lives. We don't have to speculate because you have revealed it to us. So we celebrate the season of revelation by recognizing Jesus as the Son of God. Our King, our Maker, our Sustainer, our Savior. And God, we pray for all the people here that have needs. I know that some just have some aches and some pains and some hurts and some griefs that they'd like to just hand over to you. Thank you, God, that those needs, needs are met in the cross. And we know there are some here that probably don't know you, that need a relationship, they need forgiveness, they need salvation. God, and I pray that today would be a changing point in their lives, that this Christmas they would receive the greatest gift that's ever been given. Now, as we come to this moment of response, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to be willing vessels to respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to have an invitation. And I'll invite you. If you might just want to come and kneel and pray and just lift it up, call it out, cry it out, listen to God, let him put it all back together. Some of you may want to respond by joining our church, by making a decision for salvation or baptism. I'll be down here waiting on you. So you stand. Our choir will sing. You respond.